continue to be in the book of Ecclesiastes, uh, but going back now to chapter 5. These are some of my, I don't know if I should say favorite, because it's not that they're favorite in the ways that I remember them and hold them dear to my heart for strength or for uplifting, but um, some of my favorite practical teaching um, concerning the church, concerning the church house, concerning um, our uh, behavior, our conduct as members of the house of God. And um, so we'll look to those things. Um, as we do that, I want to tell Brother Chris that I appreciated his efforts in Sunday school this morning. And uh, I uh, was I had, had my thoughts stirred um, by the things that he was mentioning and bringing up. And um, we'll see that uh, here tonight, I think, as we go along. But uh, let's go ahead and read here the first seven verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, uh, Solomon writing. It says, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God, and be more ready to hear than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they consider not that they do evil. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. For a dream cometh through the multitude of business, and a fool's voice is known by multitude of words. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it. For he hath no pleasure in fools. Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it thou shouldest not vow, than that thou shouldest vow and not pay. Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin, neither say thou before the angel that it was an error. Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice, and destroy the work of thine hands? From the multitude of dreams and many words are also divers vanities, vanities, but fear thou God. And we'll stop there at verse 7. I want to call your attention back to verse 4 and verse 5. It says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools, Pay that which thou hast vowed. Better is it that thou shouldest not vow, than thou shouldest vow and not pay. Now, certainly we know that Solomon is writing in the times of the Old Testament when we'd be thinking about the sacrifices that would be made physically unto the Lord. And he is writing concerning those vows that would be made and in doing so. And as he is talking about those things, he says, When thou vowest a vow unto God, don't be forgetful, don't defer your payment of it. He said that God does not suffer fools. He has no pleasure in fools. So pay that which you owe. He goes on further. He says, Better is that thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. He's speaking concerning our commitment and promises that are made. We see this repeated in the New Testament in a couple of places. Jesus teaching in the Beatitudes, or excuse me, in the Sermon on the Mount said, Again, you have heard that hath been said of them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shalt perform unto the Lord, Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, Swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it's God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. James repeated something similar, saying, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. Scripture keeps up, keep, teaches us to keep our word to uphold our promises, to honor our commitments. That if you have made a promise to do something, you are to follow through with it. So then, 
we have this promise over here to my right, your left, that each of us has entered into. We have made a promise when we became members of Faith Church, whether you came by baptism or you came by letter, we made this promise right here on my right to one another. It's our church covenant, which is our church promise. Now, as we consider these things, you've probably had a series of lessons that have been given on the details, on the scriptural backing, all these different components concerning the church covenant. But as Brother Chris was teaching this morning, was talking about us being accountable to one another and what is expected of us as church members, obviously we know that there are expectations of us scripturally concerning how we are to live with Christ and as a part of that, how we are to live as a member of the body of Christ, as a part of the bride of Christ. And we know those instructions have been given to us. But the other expectations of us as members lie in what we have promised to one another. And God has spoken concerning our promises that we should keep them, that we should honor them, that it is, would be better for us to have not made the promise than it would be that we would make the promise and not keep it. So my general question this evening is, are you upholding the promise that you made to the church when you became a member of her? But as we consider that question, I want us to look tonight at what this promise means, what this covenant means in action in 2021. This document was written nearly a hundred years ago. I will go ahead and say, in my opinion, it needs updating. And I think we might get around to that at at some point as we continue to work on our bylaws. Um, That's not what I'm here to do tonight, just to to look and, and talk about what updates need to be made. But instead, this promise that you have in fact entered into, I want to consider what it means. It starts out having been led as we believe by the Spirit of God to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior. We make this promise as believers. We are believers making the promise to one another. Those that have received Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now, I've heard some people debate that word, having received, as though it somehow would sound too modern or there'd be something wrong with that word. But I want to ask you a question. If salvation is a free gift, how else will you take a gift if not by receiving it? God is the giver of the gift. We are the receivers of the gift. He has, Jesus Christ has made the atonement to God and we are the beneficiaries of that atonement. We have received the gift of salvation. It's holy of grace, we know that, but we have received it through the work of Christ Jesus that God has saw fit to save us. And so it is a good promise. It's a promise that's on the foundation of those that have believed unto salvation in Christ Jesus by grace alone. It goes on, it says, And on the profession of our faith, having been baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. We observe that this is a promise not merely of of believers, but of baptized believers. This promise is an exclusive one. It's not open just to anybody, that anybody can make this promise, but it is exclusive to baptized believers. Believers, those that have been baptized after the same manner as Christ was baptized of John. It goes forward again. And it says, having been, having received in salvation, having been baptized 
It says, We do now in the presence of God, angels, in this assembly, most solemnly and joyfully enter into covenant, into promise with one another as one body in Christ. I want to highlight that. This is a promise that we have entered into. If you were to enter into a contract, you have an expectation of what side of the contract you're going to uphold, don't you? I entered into a contract to purchase my house, and there is an expectation then of what I'm going to do in bringing to the table to have my house brought to my possession. There's expectations on the side of the people that were selling me my house, that they would give me my house. Right? There, there's two parties involved. There are multiple parties involved here as each one of us that is a member of faith church has promised together in this covenant. That's what a covenant means. It is a promise. And this promise is a special one because it is a promise that we made in being joined together as a body, as the body of Christ. Now, Paul used this description again and again in his letters to, to, to the Romans, in his letter to the Corinthians, in his letter to the Ephesians, uh, in his letter to the Colossians. Paul uses this description as the church, as one body in Christ. And if that is the case, that we are in fact one body in Christ, then it is wholly fitting that we make a promise together. Why? For how can the body be able to function if it is at odds with one another, if they've not agreed on the central purpose? If I was here tonight and my right foot was insisting that it wanted to be in the back, even though the rest of me wanted to be in the front, I would look pretty foolish if I was up here preaching like this, wouldn't I? You guys going to get a laugh at that visual. I would look foolish. Why? Because my body would be in disagreement with itself. But we have entered into one promise that we be united around and engaged around, a promise entered by choice, but that we enter into as one body. Listen to what Paul told the Romans in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, right after what Chris read earlier to this morning in Sunday school. He said, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each of us a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many, as are, are excuse me, so we as who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy according to the portion of his faith, faith, if in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, or he who gives to do so with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. We are many that have been made one as one body of Christ. And we've entered into the promise, a promise as a body of Christ. And on this basis then, it says, We engage therefore, the covenant, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love. Now, we know that we are called to follow after Christ. We are to walk after Him. We sing songs like footsteps of Jesus. We know that we are to follow after the footsteps that Jesus left for us, following in His footprints. But here we are told to walk together. That means that there would be a, un a unity as we would desire to serve after the Lord. We're not following after the Lord on our own, but we are following the Lord together, walking together in Christian love. What does this look like in 2021? 
It is that we would have an arm around our brother, an arm around our sister, walking together through the trials, through the difficulties of life as we would follow after Christ, knowing that there might be those things that come to us to teach us, to train us, that we might help one another, to keep one another from stumbling, to show that no matter what it is that we're going through, that we'll have patience with one another, forbearing with one another, that we might be able to strengthen those who are around us. We are to walk together, together, together. So to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, in holiness, and in comfort. We have promised to strive together to advance the church in these three. It's to advance in our knowledge. We promised together that we would help one another advance in our knowledge of the Lord through His Scriptures. To gain in our holiness through our conduct and to strengthen or to invigorate. That's what the, the use of comfort is. To strengthen and to invigorate that those who are, are discouraged. That the church would be strengthened and advanced through our promise. This promise, listen to me, this promise is not a passive one. That we just hang the sign, well, yeah, yeah, we, we know, we've all entered that promise, and there's some stuff in there, and, and we really only get caught up in that one in the middle paragraph about not engaging or not uh, taking the use or, or sell of intoxicating beverage as, as a drink, and, and I, or intoxicating drink as a beverage. That's, that's the only thing we really clue in on. The rest of it, yeah, it's all, all fine. It's old language, and we don't really understand it all in the first place. No, 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 no. This is not a passive promise. It's an active one. We're to be actively engaged in the things that we have promised. Listen to what it says next. To promote its prosperity and its spirituality. We are to be promoters of the church. Do you hear me? Promoters of the church. Advocates of the church. Listen, if somebody says something bad about faith, them's fighting words to me. I've got something to talk to you about if you have something bad to say about my brother, about my sister, about my body itself as one body in Christ Jesus. We are to be advocates and promoters, not detractors as people who would somehow be able to say, yeah, you know, that church it is somehow speaking bad about it. We are to be that which would uphold it and esteem it and desire its success. That's what it means to promote its prosperity. So the question is, what does a successful church look like? You ever wondered that? What does a successful church look like? I think that if we were to boil it down, it would look like two things. One, it would be equipping the saints. To equip the saints. To equip the saints to worship. To equip the saints that go through life. To handle the things that it's going to go through. To equip the saints to raise up their children. To equip the saints to encourage one another. It is for the equipping of the saints. And that looks like edification. That looks like exhortation. That looks like encouragement. That looks like admonishment. That looks like rebuke and reproof. It looks like all these things that we would talk about relative to the life of the believer that we might be able to effectively worship the Lord. The other thing that it looks like then, a successful church, is one that is evangelizing and promoting the gospel to the lost that are around us. Are you committed to the success of faith church? You've promised that you will. How are you living up to that 
promise. Further, we are to promote its spirituality. Now, listen to me. The church can only be as spiritual as a whole as its members are in particular. What's that mean? There's going to be some times where you come in this place and you are cold and you are indifferent. You're mad. You had a fight with your your spouse on the way to church. You've had a bad week. Whatever the case might be. And you might be feeling as far from the Lord as you can possibly be. I want you to know we've all been there. But when we see our brother there, when we see our sister there, we are to go to them and to encourage them that we might help them knowing that we desire that the church would be healthy and successful and prosper in its spirituality. And as a result of that, we are to take an interest in the spiritual health of our brothers and our sisters. When is the last time you have called someone because you've not seen them in a while at church? My wife is awesome at that. She's very, very good at checking in on people when she hasn't seen them. Now, I want to say something about that. A lot of times, people will say, you know, I I don't want to do that because they're going to think that, you know, I'm I'm being too careful over them. They're going to get offended that I've noticed they've been gone or I'm going to push them away or all these other things. Listen to me, you can make those excuses till you're blue in the face, but ultimately we have promised one another and furthermore, Scripture teaches us that we would take an active role in the spiritual health of our brothers and our sisters. It is good for us to do that. If all of a sudden I didn't show up for the next three weeks, I hope somebody would be concerned about me. Concerned enough to call me. Concerned enough to stop by my house and say, Brother, what's going on? I haven't seen you. Sorry, my daughter had her head stuck in a bag. So, you see unusual things from the pulpit sometimes. <laughs> my daughter's been on a, on a, a rough couple of days and... and health and, and injuring herself. So pray for Eleanor. Anyway, it goes on it says to sustain its worship, ordinances, discipline, and doctrines. We promise to sustain and maintain the health of the church concerning both its orthodoxy, that is the things that we believe, but also its orthopraxy, that being the practices of the church. We know that the doctrines, we look to the the core elements of the doctrines that we believe make us a true church, a church of the living God, those doctrines that are necessary, that we might have, have the light with us, that our candle would indeed be on the candlestick here at Faith Church. And as we would think about that, we would uphold our doctrines no matter what. But we are also to uphold our practice and worship and the ordinances that we, we observe, baptism and the Lord's Supper, which we'll do here in just a couple of weeks, in discipline. Listen, if the church isn't practicing proper discipline of its members, you should get concerned as a member. A healthy church is one that is practicing biblical discipline. And we should be invested in sustaining our worship ordinances, discipline, in doctrines. It goes on, it says, to contribute cheerfully and regularly in the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. We have promised to give. We have promised to contribute to the church. My work just came through the, the United, our annual United Way campaign and 
And work gets a little irritated with me sometimes because I don't give a ton uh, to it. And, and, and the reason why is that my preference is to give through the church. My preference is that all my giving is done here because I trust the Lord's church to distribute it and to distribute it well. And if the church decides to make a huge donation to United Way, I'm good with that. But I desire that my dollars, my giving, would be gifted to the church. I promise to do it. I have promised to be a regular and cheerful contributor to the work of the church. And in four ways. One is to the support of the ministry. Now I want to note, this is not missionaries. Missionaries are going to come later. That's part of the four. But this is not, is not missionaries. This is the ministry of the church. This is an element of investment. Do you want to see the ministry of the church prosper? If the answer is yes, you should be upholding your promise to contribute to it financially, to give cheerfully and regularly. Regularly, We give to cover the expenses of the church. Listen, as we continue to grow, if the Lord will, we will find that there's going to be a greater need even to contribute to the Lord's calls. You know, we're, we're excited about this, this uh, company that's moving in north of here and the opportunities that it might open up for us to be able to, to, to have more of a way for parking and to get rid of some of our issues out back here with the power lines and with the water and all that. But listen, it's going to take us being willing to give and to contribute if we desire to see that the Lord's work can continue to grow and prosper here at Faith Church. There's expenses that come with the church. It keeps going. It says, we are to give for the relief of the poor. I have said this many times and I will just continue to uphold it. Government programs would not be needed if the church was contributing to the relief of the poor as we're called to do. The government has stepped in when the church stopped doing its part. We're called to relieve the poor by giving. And I could, listen, I could go through all the scriptural references throughout the covenant. That's not my aim tonight. My aim this evening is to get us to see how we are to live the promise that has been made because we have been instructed that if we make a promise, we're to keep it. And it would be better for us to have not promised than to have made a promise and break it. That's what I'm trying to get us to see here this evening. It says finally that we are to contribute to missionaries for those that are on the mission field who are committed to carry the gospel to all nations. So for the ministry for the expenses of the church, for relief of the poor, and for ministries. It goes on, it says, We also engage to maintain family and secret devotion, to religiously educate our children, and to seek the salvation of our kindred and acquaintances. We have promised to not only serve after the Lord together as the body of Christ, but individually in our secret life, in our private life, and together as our families, that we are to serve the Lord to educate our children in the things of the Lord. Listen, if the only religious education that your children are getting is on a Sunday morning, you are falling short of what God has instructed you to do in religiously educating your children. 
You should be the primary person teaching your children about the Lord. Not their Sunday school teacher. Not their pastor. They got skin in the game too. But God sent them home with you. Did you get that? God sent them home with you. You are primarily responsible for their religious education. Because it says to tell our families and our loved ones about the gospel. We have made a commitment to one another that we would care enough about our children, or excuse me, about our kindred and our friends and our loved ones to tell them about the gospel. You made a promise to do those things. Will you keep your promise? It says to walk circumspectly in the world, to be just in our dealings, faithful in our engagements, and exemplary in our deportment. Those last three, Brother Corey's lesson or subject at the association uh, covered. But, but that first one, it says circumspectly. Now that's not a word that we use much in 2021, is it? When's the last time you've used the word circumspectly? My only times, as far as I know, that I've ever used it has been in reference to this document. I don't think I've used it in any other context. What's it mean? It means that we should be cautious in how we live. That we might avoid the dangers that would otherwise be there to surprise us. We are to live life on the lookout for the tricks and the traps and the snares that Satan lays for us. Peter said it this way. He said that we should be sober and to be vigilant for our adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom it is that he may devour. Have you ever watched on, on some you know National Geographic channel or something like that, watching one of those animals out stalking its prey? That's what Satan's doing. He's out stalking you. And he wants to devour you. He wants to destroy your life. Satan will not be satisfied until he makes shipwreck of the lives of the children of God. So we are to live our lives circumspectly, cautiously, aware and looking for those dangers and those traps that Satan sets for us. That we would not be surprised by them. And, and I won't cover these next three very far just because Brother Corey just, just wrote that subject and delivered it at the association. But he said, we promise to be just in our dealings. Not cheating people. Being honest. Being faithful in our engagements. Following through on our commitments. Being exemplary in our deportment. That is, that we would act in a way that merits being followed. If your life is not a life that you would recommend somebody to model after, you're doing something wrong. We made a promise to be exemplary in how we live. To live lives that would be good for other people to model their lives after. It says to avoid all tattling, backbiting, and excessive anger. To abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drink as a beverage, and to be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We promise to be exemplary in our words, not tattling, not out spreading things about one another. That word backbiting, I'll be honest, I don't think I ever fully really understood what it meant, but what it means is that we want to be talking about each other behind their backs. Listen, if you've got a problem with somebody, don't go to anybody else but them. 
take it up with them. If they won't hear you, you go to them and you're not making any headway with them, well then sure, you can come and bring in some good, respected elder or member of the church to help you, but don't do that until you have first gone to the person to avoid tattling and backbiting and excessive anger. Excessive anger. We know that it's scriptural that we're going to have those moments where we grow mad, where we grow upset and and angry. But Scripture has told us that those moments should be few and far between, that we should be careful to resolve those moments as quickly as possible, and that we should avoid having that anger reach a level that is excessive. We promised essentially that we would be at peace with one another and to promote peace. What did Christ say in the Beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers. We are to be lovers of peace. And then he said the one that ultimately gets the most attention, and some people poke and prod at this one, and I understand why, but that we are to abstain from the sale and use of intoxicating drink as a beverage. Now the reality is that this was most likely added here during the days of prohibition in which alcohol was outlawed, in the United States, and as a result, it was always done through moonshine and bootleg and all those things we, we read about. Uh, but as we think about this from the standpoint of us today in 2021, people, and in fact, I've had a lot of conversations with people my age about this, in which they say, well, you know, scripturally, I, I think it'd be okay if we were to engage from time to time, and I, I don't, people would say, I don't think there's anything wrong if I have a glass of wine or, or these sorts of things. And we can have that discussion scripturally. But I want you to know two things why I don't have a a big problem with this being in our covenant. Number one is that it is good for us to live lives that are distinct from the rest of the world. And when the rest of the world finds it that it is not only acceptable, but it is good and it is right and it is preferred to engage in the use of intoxicating drink as a beverage, then we are able to clearly set ourselves apart when we refuse. That's good for us to do. It's good for us to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed, as Brother Chris talked about this morning. So it's good for us then. To, to, to be distinct in this way. It's good for us to be sober-minded. I don't have to worry about letting something happen that goes too far if I just abstain completely. Right? That is a good teaching for us. But the second reason is that you promise to do it. If you promise to do it, why are you complaining about it after the fact? You've made the promise. The Lord says, It'd be better for you to not make the promise at all than to make the promise and to break it. Let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. Uphold your word. Be true to the promises that you have made. Now, I will say I've seen some, some good things about what other churches have done. I encourage you to get on the Anchor Mission Baptist Church's website up in Anchorage, Alaska. Uh, I, I really like they've, they've uh, kind of rewritten and, and, and made a promise specific to the church there at the Anchor, and um, it's really good. And I encourage you to get online at their website and, and check that out. Uh, and then finally, it says we should not just be promoters of the kingdom. Here, as it says, that we'd be zealous in our efforts to advance the kingdom of our Savior. We not, we're not then just promoters of it, but we're to be zealous about it. Now, that word zealous sometimes, I think, gets thrown across for the wrong, wrong reasons. We think you got a lot of zeal. you got a lot of passion. you got a lot of excitement about it. 
But what that zeal ultimately means is that we are to be engaged in and committed to the pursuit of the kingdom of God. Did you hear me? Engaged in and committed to the prosperity of the church. It goes on, it says, We further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. One of those things that Brother Chris mentioned in his Sunday school this morning was about holding each other accountable, to being accountable to one another. We've entered into a promise that says we further engage to watch over one another in brotherly love. We have made a promise to hold one another accountable. If you call somebody up and say, hey, I haven't seen you in a few weeks where you've been, if they give you any lip, you can just tell them, well, you made a, I made a promise to you to watch over you in brotherly love, brother. All I'm doing is upholding my promise. We made a promise to one another to keep each other accountable. The covenant continues us to remember each other in prayer and to aid each other in sickness and distress. We promise to pray for one another. James taught us that, didn't he? So that we'd be prayerful to confess our faults to one another and to pray for one another. That's where he went on and said that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We are to pray for one another. And we are to help one another. When we see somebody sick and in need, we are to help one another. When we see each other in distress, and it's going to fall every one of us, and that we enter into times of distress, and we need our church family around us when that happens. It keeps going. It says to cultivate Christian sympathy and feeling and courtesy and speech. And this one might be my favorite part of our promise to cultivate Christian sympathy in feeling and in courtesy in speech. We have promised to respond to one another in kind. That's how Noah Webster put it. We have made a promise to respond to one another in kind. Christ, it was said about Christ that He condescended to men of low estate. We are to be willing to put off our judgment that we instead might meet somebody where they're at and what's going on in their lives. What's that mean? We have this tendency sometimes that if somebody's got to themselves this place of low estate, we say, well, you know, that was their own fault. I could have told them that's what they were going to end up with. But the reality is that we are to respond to them with feelings in kind, to have sympathy, to cultivate that sympathy and feeling and the courtesy of our speech. It doesn't matter how somebody got to their lowest state. It doesn't matter why they're there or how long they've been there. We are to see to it that we would help them, that we would exercise love and care and nurture, especially when we see these young Christians that would find themselves in these moments of distress. And it says to be slow to take offense, but always ready for reconciliation and mindful of the rules of our Savior to secure it without delay. We promise not only to be free from excessive anger, but also to be slow in taking offense to something someone has done. That we'd be slow in our reaction. We are to be patient with one another, but always willing to forgive one another. I just think that's fantastic. There was a song written several years ago. The title of it was Crazy Christians. And one of the lines of it was that they can't wait to forgive someone for just about anything. 
And listen, if that's what's known for Christians, if that's what Christians are known for, I'm alright with that. God has forgiven me for far worse than anyone could wrong me. And so if I see that somebody has repented and is making an effort towards the Lord and has asked me to forgive them, Christ has taught me to forgive and to forgive abundantly, even as He has forgiven me. So we are to be slow to take offense and always ready for reconciliation. Be patient with one another, to be mindful of the instruction in the way of the Lord to secure and to restore our relationships as quickly as possible. Then the last paragraph says this. It says, We moreover engage that when we remove from this place, we will as soon as possible unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principle of God's word. The final note of our promise is that when we leave here, when the Lord would have us to move to some other location, to, to, to call us to some other work, that we would do so only to unite with some other church. I want to emphasize that. I hear a lot of people saying, well, the Lord's leading me to Timbuktu. My question when they tell me that is, that's all well and good, but is there some good church that you can be a part of in the area? Are you going there to to start a church? If, If the answer to those two questions is no, I want to hear more. Because the Lord is leading you somewhere where you're not going to be a member of His body. Where you're not going to surround yourselves with people that can hold you accountable, that can edify you, that can equip you. We need one another. And so I would find it highly questionable to be in the character of God who has, has influenced us and, and is, is all of these things are scripturally regarded in terms of our promise that we've made to one another. I would deeply question how God is calling you to some area of the world where you cannot maintain your engagement with the body of Christ. We should desire that being a part of the body of Christ has the greater esteem than whatever job we might be called to take, whatever thing we might be called to do, whatever pursuit we want to go explore, whatever those types of things are, that being a part of the body of Christ transcends all of those things, that it exceeds all of those things. That we would do so as quick as possible. And we would do so without delay. That we might continue to live out what the Scriptures have taught us in the spirit of this promise. I want to tell you guys about something. When I was ordained, I was ordained on a Saturday, first Saturday in November, I believe it was, and uh, the next day we came to church here at Faith, and uh, my wife had told me in advance, she says, I don't want to join that day. And she said the reason why was that her family was going to be here and all of those sorts of things, and, and so she wanted to wait. The way that I saw it was I had stayed a member at Southside during that period because they were ordaining me and I needed to stay there. But, but now that I, I've been ordained, I, I'm free to be able to join Faith Church. And we joined that day, much to my wife's disagreement with me, but we joined anyway. Why? Because I made a promise to the folks at Southside that when I left that place that I would as soon as possible unite myself with another church. It was necessary for me to uphold my promise to them to join here and to do so as quickly as possible. That's quite the promise, ain't it? There's a lot in there. We didn't even begin to to scratch the surface of some of this. This is just a 
a teaching message tonight about what all that promise entails. As Brother Chris brought his lesson this morning as, as we look at what it is to be a, a member, a successful member of Faith Church. And so I want to just challenge you in two things tonight as we close. One, are you fulfilling your promise to Faith Church? You're like me, you look through there and there's some things you could probably do better, right? I'm falling short in that area of my promise. I need to kick it into high gear a little bit in that area or the other. But two, as we consider this promise in 2021, how might the church propose the promise or exercise the promise in a way that is of greater strength and clarity to our members? As I mentioned, there's some language here, right, that's old. We further engage, we moreover engage, all these sorts of things, right? Those are outdated terminology. And I think it would behoove us as a church, seeing that we've all entered into this promise, to, to be concerned or considerate of how we can make sure that our brothers and our sisters are successful in upholding the promise. So let's be praying about how we can more faithfully execute this promise and see that it's clear to our brothers and sisters who are part of this body of Christ here at Faith Church. So I thank you for listening to me. I uh, know it was a, more of a, a teaching lesson uh, tonight than, than a message, um, and I don't think I've ever even gone through the, the church covenant like that in, in terms of from the pulpit. Um, but I, I, Brother Chris's lesson as it stirred my heart this morning, I had plans to, to preach tonight about something else, but um, I just couldn't get that off my mind. Of, of what does it mean to be a successful church member? And, uh, so I wanted to, to share those thoughts with you here this evening. There's a, a thought or, or a word on your heart here this evening.